The topic for today is speaking of Jesus. A friend of mine in university wrote a book entitled Speaking of Jesus, uh, and so I've sort of picked up on, on his title. Uh, for most non-Christians, they actually have a positive view of Jesus. You ask people what they think about Jesus, most of them will say, oh, he was a good moral teacher. So they have a, a positive view of Jesus, but you mention the J word, Jesus, and you feel this tension rise. You talk about spirituality, you know, even God. You talk about God of the sort of generic, and that doesn't create quite the resistance. But when you, when you say Jesus, or I'm a Christian, you get this, this kind of this, this, this reaction. And most Christians are uncomfortable in speaking about their faith. There's the adage, uh, don't speak about either religion or politics in polite company. But actually, most people are really quite interested in both religion and politics. <laughs> they just don't want to have it pushed down their throat. <clears throat> uh, so I'm actually going to say something about uh, politics in a second, sort of as an analogy for helping us. So what makes speaking of Jesus hard? Turn to someone near you and share uh, together what you think makes speaking of Jesus hard. <laughs> okay, uh, what, what were some of your responses? What are some of your thoughts? What makes it hard? Fear. Fear of what? Um, uh, Fear of pushback. All right. Fear of a negative reaction. Fear of rejection. There is a lot of baggage. I was in uh, England one time, uh, and uh, this was during the George Bush, the second George Bush, uh, and uh, the, her comment was, if Christianity would make someone like George Bush do what he does, Christianity must be a really bad thing. Okay? So people associate, you call yourself a Christian. I mean, Donald Trump calls himself a Christian, but he also says he has nothing, nothing to ask forgiveness for. Duh. <laughs> ask forgiveness for. He has, repentance, it doesn't, doesn't fit in his vocabulary. He never views anything he's done as being wrong. Okay, all right. But he calls himself a Christian. And, uh, yeah. Misunderstanding would be Okay. Yeah, fear of being misunderstood. Okay, other, other reflections on the, yes. Yeah, so if they ask, suppose they ask me that hard question or one of these hard questions, uh, I, don't, I don't, well, don't know how to respond. Actually, if, they ask, if someone asks you a hard question, be completely honest, say, that's a good question. Let me think about it some. I tell you what, I'll get back to you when I just tell you, you know what I find out. And then we'll come to you. And then, well, you could, you could <laughs> go on the... Say, Peter, <laughs> yes, you can come to me. <laughs> or you go on the... Yes, yes, yes. You could go on the internet and, and look, and that gives you the opportunity. Say, actually, I did some, did some research, and if you like what I find, found, I'd be glad to tell you. Okay, what'd you find? So then you can talk about it. So actually, when they ask you a question you don't have an, any good answer to, saying you don't, but you'll look into it, um, and it just opens the door for a future conversation. When I was a student at Stanford, uh, 
Uh, before I was in philosophy, I was, uh, they, they had a book table, it's an information table for Stanford Christian Fellowship, that's university. And I spent quite a bit of time sitting at the, at the table, and sometimes a person would come by and drop their favorite objection, and my jaw would be going to, and they would smugly walk away. <laughs> so that I would go and talk to my friend, how do you respond to this? So actually, I learned quite a bit that year for people dropping their bombs and, you know, okay, now what do, what do I say to that? Okay, any other thoughts on the, the question? What makes it hard? I think both for new and established relationships, I always think about, oh man, is this going to compromise the relationship? Like, am I going to put myself in a point where now I've sort of sacrificed the relationship because it's like weird for them? And I think especially with new relationships. If particularly if you're going to be around this person for a while, if it's just somebody you meet and you'll never meet them again. Yeah. Um, there's sort of the awkwardness of just initiating conversation. Um, but if you're, say, meeting someone at work, doesn't know you or you, you're new, first impressions are huge. And people build an impression of you, oh, you're this kind of person, and they can write you off. So it's important to, to build some relationship. And maybe speaking of Jesus, the first day is not the best idea, right? <laughs> But, uh, yeah, that's hard. And people you know, actually, know well, family members and friends you've known for a long time, that can be harder than speaking with a complete stranger. Any other thoughts? Uh, the word contextualize comes to my mind. Uh, I could be talking about Jesus, but using a, a wise man or I, someone I respect says this and this without actually coming out with, like in the Muslim world, I would use Isa al-Masih, Jesus the Messiah, mm -hmm. and their ears perk up. Okay, because you're using a word that they would recognize, and yeah. the Quran actually in our culture, mentions... It has to be, the Dalai Lama is referred to all over the place in our culture. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I have a wiser man than Dalai Lama. <laughs> yeah, so the question, how do, how do you, in context... Have a natural bridges into it, and 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 getting the place where you have natural bridges is part of what I'll be I'll be talking about. Here are some things I came up with: not wanting to be pushy, awkwardness in raising the topic, fear of what others will think of us, either think you're less intelligent or narrow-minded. There was a PhD student in astronomy at UC Santa Cruz who I got to know during his fourth year. And his sister had become a Christian. He was thinking about the Christian faith. Early in his fifth year, we got together and uh, found out he was actually thinking pretty seriously about the faith. And I said, uh, are, there, are there barriers at this point you see between yourself and becoming a Christian? He said, well, I, I worry about what people think of me. And I guarantee you that's not an idle worry. Because if you're a fifth-year PhD student in astronomy and it uh, comes out you become a Christian... I guarantee you there will be colleagues, professors, and fellow students who will think, oh, I thought you were smarter than that. So you're lowered in their estimation of your intelligence because you be, become a Christian. So yeah, there is a, is a cost in that. But I also say if you do good work in astronomy, you'll garner respect. And the fact that you're a Christian will not block the fact that you're doing good work and garnering respect for that. Fear of questions one cannot answer. Another problem is not being convinced our friends really need Jesus. I mean, in theory, yes, everybody needs Jesus. But do I really feel my neighbor, my friend, uh, that they need Jesus? Or I have a Jesus, but do they need Jesus? 
some foundations. <clears throat> One is the clear understanding of the gospel. If I ask you to take out a piece of paper and sort of write an outline or a set of points about what, what the gospel consists of, or a person asks, what is the gospel? Would you be able, in a fairly succinct way, be able to lay out what the gospel is about? Um, and so there are parts of it which are sort of lingo for Christians. Jesus died for our sins. Well, what does Jesus died for our sins mean? I once saw a bumper sticker that said, Custer, as in Custer's last stand. Custer died for our sins. Actually, that's true. <laughs> but that's not what we mean when we say Jesus died for our sins. And Custer died because of the sins of the American people against the, the Native Americans, plus his own folly and arrogance got himself killed. But uh, <clears throat> trying to explain those things. Questions people sometimes raise is, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Couldn't he just forgive us? Most people are basically good. Surely a merciful God wouldn't require perfection. God wouldn't send anybody to hell just because they didn't profess certain beliefs, would he? Uh, if, if God is all good and all powerful, he wouldn't allow so much evil and suffering. So if you want, we can come back to some of those. But just there, there's good questions about the content of the gospel that are worth grappling with. How can we communicate those things in ways which, which people would, would understand? And by the way, the problem is not perfection. The problem is there's a, this, uh, the core of who we are. There's a fundamental problem. And there's the problem that God is a holy God who actually is opposed to all that's evil, not only evil in other people, but evil in myself. And I ha that evil has to be dealt with for me to be able to even live in the presence of a holy God. Okay, uh, when a person becomes a Christian, there has to be the question of truth. Does it make sense to me? If it doesn't make sense to someone, no matter how attractive it may be, uh, very attractive, but I can't believe it. My wife uh, teaches English as a second language, or, or did in, in the past, and she was in a, doing a project with a professor at the University of Michigan and teaching in ESL. And my wife had just gone to a women's retreat in our church, and she was talking about the women's retreat, and this professor, a woman professor, said, you know, sometimes I wish I could be a member of a church, but I can't because I don't believe it. So it was attractive, but not an option. Uh, although motivation, there has to be motivation there. Nobody ever becomes a Christian simply through arguments. You can have good arguments, but there has to be a desire to believe. There has to be an attraction towards Jesus, an attraction to what they see in Jesus, a belief that actually this is where uh, uh, life is to be found. Uh, there's a question of the will. The simplest definition of a Christian is one who is a follower of Jesus. So if you think of a definition of Christian as a person who signs off on certain beliefs, well, yes, there are certain beliefs which are part of being a Christian. But just signing off on those beliefs is not what the Christian faith is about. It's about following Jesus and letting him, through his spirit, work in your life and submitting yourself to him. Another foundation is prayer. I know perfectly well that one thing I say to one person will just, like, water off a duck's back, saw something on the same argument to somebody else, the person will say, oh, that makes sense. Well, it's actually the Spirit of God at work in the person. Uh, the Spirit of God both works through our personality and through our character, uh, through our winsomeness, all right, but also works through the things that we say. But it has to be the Spirit at work because you have a, a good argument, but it's not something that's actually going to persuade a person. I remember one time having a, uh, a half hour, uh, sort of a, a laying out the case for the resurrection with a, with a skeptic. 
And after I was done, he said, okay, so maybe Jesus did rise from the dead. Strange things happen. <laughs> oh, I, I, I could have asked right at the beginning, if I, could, if I could show you there's a good historical case for the resurrection of Jesus, would that make any difference to you? The person says, yes, it would. All right. There's, there's, there's an openness. In fact, asking that kind of question sometimes before you, you share about something can be a good intro and get their attention and actually make them more positive to what you eventually have to say. Friendship and trust are important. Most people who become Christians become Christians because they've met, at least met one other Christian or a community of Christians where they say, I like what I see. And it seems to me that they are driven, motivated by something I don't have. And it seems to be related to their belief in, in Jesus. And it's usually not just one friend. If non-Christians only have a friendship with one Christian, they're apt to say, oh, I like you. Christians I don't like, but you're an exception. <laughs> I like you, okay? But if, they, if you can introduce them to other Christians, and they can be, oh, I like you, plural, uh, that could be a great help. But again, speaking about Jesus doesn't require that you have a friendship uh, to, to begin with. Prior relationships are not essential, and it's oftentimes harder speaking to friends and family. So if you have somebody who's a very good friend, but you haven't talked to him about the faith or her about the faith, uh, it's harder to raise it because you haven't talked about it. Well, I suggest in that kind of situation, you can say, you know, I go to church every Sunday. Uh, assume I'm, I'm a Christian from that, and I've never really talked to you about how I came to the faith or what it means to me. But if at some point you'd like to have me share some of that, I'd be glad to do so. At some point, you're not saying you're going to do it now. And the person, okay, that would be interesting. Not right now, I'm busy now, but later on. So later on, you have the opportunity to say, you know, you mentioned sometime you'd like to, uh, is, is, does this seem like a good time? So you have the opportunity to be able to talk about uh, your faith and it's sort of uh, confessing. I haven't talked much about this. I should have. Um, but uh, if you'd like, I'd be glad to tell you more about it. So you can introduce it that way and sort of overcome the, the embarrassment you have of, of not having talked for a long time. Yes? In your experience, does, does later on overcome? Do people actually come back and circle back? Well, a person might, next time around, might say, no, not now. And you can say, well, at some point. Oh, yeah, yeah, at some point. If they say, yeah, at some point, then, yeah, you can come back around and say, you know, we mentioned, uh, let me know when's a good time. Okay, you know, so and typically people won't, you know, will actually at some point say, yeah, okay, I've got time now. Go ahead and then tell me more about it. There's an art of conversation. So part of the comfortableness of speaking about Jesus is if you're good at engaging in significant conversation, significant conversation leads much more easily to speaking of Jesus than if you're just talking about the 49ers or the Giants or the Warriors or whatever, whatever it may, may be or the latest TV serial, uh, no, <clears throat> there's, uh, there's, there's an art to conversation. So I'm, I'm going to raise the question, what makes a conversation about politics enjoyable? So just thinking about that, you know, don't talk about politics, but sometimes a, a conversation about politics really can be enjoyable. So here's some reflections. One, you have the opportunity to say what you think. If the other person doesn't give you the opportunity to say what you think, then nah, that's not an enjoyable conversation. And the other person shows an interest in knowing what you think. That's actually relatively rare. For other person really wants to know what you think. Oh, wow, they want to know what I think. 
And the other person has some worthwhile thoughts too. So it's not just you're having the enjoyment of sharing your own ideas, but the other person has some worthwhile thoughts. The conversation is by consent. Neither person was sort of you know, wrestled in it as a launch. It's, it's actually, it's practically the both of them want to do it. And it only, continues only as long as both want it to. One thing is about conversation, if you have pauses in your conversation, that gives the person the opportunity to say, well, actually, I need to be going. <laughs> so if they want to break it off, it gives them the opportunity to do so. It also gives them the opportunity to say something. So if they say something along the same line, you know, okay, so we're still tracking. <laughs> we're still on the same uh, topic. But it only continues as both of them want it to. And then something is learned. Some relevant facts, some points, some ideas. So you actually are a bit more knowledgeable after coming out of this uh, conversation. And from this, mutual respect and friendship grows. So you actually can have a conversation about politics where you have different ideas, but the friendship actually grows, from, grows through it because you've had this mutual respect in the conversation back and forth. Now, it's not too hard to think, talking about the faith, these things, the same things apply. <laughs> Just think about, am I, am I doing these things when I'm talking about the gospel? Or do I have a sort of can in my pocket? <laughs> okay, here, I'll open up the can and toss it at you. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, is it, does it have this kind of uh, character to it? It's crucial that it's dialogue, not monologue. And part of what people fear is they start talking about, oh, here comes a monologue. And I'm going to have to uh, sit here and endure this person giving me this tirade. Or that's how I think of it. Another thing about the art of conversation is there are levels of conversation. The first level of conversation, you just sort of get conversation going. You're on a bus together with someone or an airplane, and you say, hello, I'm, I'm or are you, is, is the city we're going to your destination? Is it work? Is it vacation? You know, so you ask some questions like that, and if the person, you know, responds, and then you can get a conversation going. If the person just says work, and does this, I, I, don't, I don't continue trying to speak to the person. You're sort of feeling out, does the person, the person want to talk? When we were in Finland, uh, interesting enough, we were told the Finns do not engage in small talk. Oh, really? Well, actually, Finnish culture is, is really quite humble, uh, as a culture goes. They have been dominated by the Russians, by the Swedes, by the Danes. They have a long history of being dominated by other peoples. And they're not a particularly brash or arrogant uh, people culturally. And so we're told, well, Finnish people speak when they have something to say. If they don't have something to say, they don't speak. <laughs> okay. So when I was giving this, this talk, I said, well, you know, forget the word, the, the expression small talk. The question is, how do you get a conversation going? <laughs> Whatever, you forget, you have this, we don't engage in small talk. Okay, but just how do you get a, a conversation going? How do you break the ice? Something which I encourage you to look for in, in this is look for a genuine interest. And it may be a genuine interest that has no spiritual worth whatsoever. It may be that they're really big into Marvel comic movies, or maybe they're really big into sports. And you can ask him, oh, do you have a favorite Marvel movie, or which Marvel character do you like the most? Or, so as you ask those kinds of questions, and you might not know very much about Marvel Comics, but you, you could ask the questions. And even though you don't have much interest, well, maybe some interest can develop as you listen. 
So you, you find something this person is genuinely interested in, and they'll start, they'll start telling you all kinds of things. And, you know, what do you think about this season? Or uh, any, you know, sort of, uh, uh, what, have you been a longtime Giants fan or whatever the, whatever the case may be? And the person then, then, then shares. So you're actually engaged in a different level of conversation, and the person is t- talking about something they really like talking about. And you're listening to them. Of course, then there's the values and feelings. What do you find valuable about it? Uh, for, for, you know, it's, it's, it's a variety of things. Uh, or when you, how, how do you feel about it? Unfortunately, with the sports, if you're really into it, your team loses, ah, you're the dregs. <laughs> you know, how, how do you handle that? Do you let the sports sort of get you down? Uh, so you talk about values and feelings, but there's aspirations, longer, deeper values. We talk about those kinds of things, what things you're aiming for, you like to achieve. And, of course, foundations of that get into what kind of worldview they have. And for us as Christians, where do our values and what's the foundation of that? Some of you may be familiar with Becky Manley Pippert. She's now living in Europe. She's going to be one of the speakers at a conference I'm going to the end of December in Germany. She wrote a book called Out of the Salt Shaker. And one of the things she mentions in the book is investigate, stimulate, and relate. She's one of the best people I know at just conversational evangelism. And part of what makes her so good is that she has a genuine interest in other people. And a person will talking about something, she, oh, that's fascinating. And she won't just be saying that's fascinating, she actually finds it fascinating. And people love that, and it's very easy for her to get into it. Well, she suggests investigate is find out things about the person. And my wife said investigate sounds like interrogate, analyze. Well, no, the point is you're simply trying to find out more about the the person by asking questions. Uh, Stimulate is to say something that the person can either pick up on or drop, but it's kind of a teaser. It's kind of you see if the person responds. And if the person responds, then then, 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 then you go into it. So Becky Manley Pierce, I have one of the best jobs in the world. And she stops speaking. What's that? <laughs> and then she starts talking about uh, interaction with students and how much she loves that. And, but she'll use with this teaser, sort of a, uh, to, and the, the person's response means you really have uh, their close attention. So that's the stimulate, relate is then sharing what you actually believe. So here's a couple things about that. Investigating, showing an interest in the person, getting to know the other person. There's lots of background, place of origin, siblings, parents, education, interests. Everybody has those things. Uh, Current situation, are they working, retired, student, single, married, children, resident, uh, where do they live? Again, what kind of interests do they they currently have? And those kinds of things are you can bring up with anybody. Uh, But when you start talking about those things, you actually get some significant conversation going. Uh, asking questions that go a bit deeper is important. So, for instance, when two students to get together, or I get together with a student after I find out their name, the second question is, what do you study? Right? That's sort of make talk. But the person says, physics, I, I say. I can say, well, have you had a long-time interest in physics? Yeah, I first got interested in it. And I could ask the question, if they're in a PhD program, uh, do you like the program you're in? Is it meeting your expectations? Uh, if you do it over again, would you follow the same track? I mean, that's, that's, that's getting much, much deeper kinds of questions, but it flows naturally. And so it's not just simply asking, what are you studying? 
but finding more about the person where you get into some deeper uh, uh, topics about it. For a working person, here are some good little deeper questions. What kind of work do you do? That's the opening one. What company? But then what got you interested in? And are you happy working for this company? Or what do you enjoy most about the work? Do you find parts of it difficult? Do you work closely with others? And how's that? Job satisfaction has a lot to do with the people you're, you're, you're working with. And when they talk about the people they're working with, either, oh, I've got this lousy boss, no, or they have this great boss and the people there. So you're, you're finding out significant things. <clears throat> do, you, uh, do you work close? Okay, so do you think you'll continue doing this for long term? Or is this something they're doing to, so there's a step board to try to do, do, do something else? If you do things over again, would you follow the same path? Uh, then, of course, they can always ask, when not working, what do you enjoy doing? So that gets a sort of interest and other things that, that can lead off. But see, there's asking deeper questions than simply where are you working, what company you're working for, or what's your job. They might give the title of the job. But just asking a little bit deeper about what's, in, what, what, what's involved in that. I'll skip over the grad student questions. Uh, you can also ask about religious background when you're doing sort of an in, in investigation. So uh, you can ask, I'm curious, did you grow up in a family that was all religious? So that might follow on where you're from, uh, uh, sort of a little bit of background. And uh, if they find out you're a Christian, I, uh, you can ask them, did you grow up in a family that was at all religious? Uh, if the person says yes, uh, well, do you have any religious faith yourself today? Oh, sort of. They'll, they'll give different answers. It might be the person say they had a religious background, but they no longer are religious. There I can ask uh, uh, the question, and this is a bit prying, so I sort of frame it up this way. I'm curious. You don't need to tell me if you don't want to. But I'm really curious what led you to change your view. Okay. Was it experiences that you had? Was it questions or issues? Was it people that you met, books that you read, things you saw on the internet? Now, what kinds of things led you to change your, your position? If the person used to be a Christian, all right, I think a great question to ask is, uh, I, I would say, I, I know you don't believe anymore, but do you wish the Christian faith were true? That's a great question to ask. If the person says, yes, I do, that means motivation is not the, not the problem. <laughs> they don't believe, and there are some reasons why they no longer believe, but say, yeah, it'd be nice if it were true. I asked that question to a person I debated in Finland a couple years ago, and we got together coffee a couple days later, and I asked him if he wished the Christian faith were true. And he said, well, that depends on what, what brand of Christianity you're talking about. If it's uh, the, the brand that uh, sort of your liberal Finnish Lutheran pastors, uh, yeah, that'd be okay. But if it's the brand that believes in hell, no, I don't want that. <laughs> okay, so, so they actually end up talking for the next 20 minutes or so about the doctrine of hell and what, what's involved in it, why I actually uh, believe it. And I think he found it uh, quite, quite interesting. <clears throat> Suppose I meet someone, the person's a Hindu. Okay, I could say, I'm curious. If someone were to say to you, you're a Hindu just because you grew up in that faith, how would you respond? I mean, that's, I mean it's, it's, a, it's a deep question, but it's not, it's not something which is a threatening question. 
You know, it's a good question, how, how, and they have a chance to respond to it. This last year in Slovakia, I was at a dinner where there was a half a dozen uh, uh, Indian students who came, one of whom, uh, at least one of whom said he was a Christian. The staff person with the student ministry there asked, what, is, what does your faith mean to you? He said, oh, it means you know, being a nice person, a caring person, being honest. Not a very great understanding of what it means to be a Christian. And I got talking to the others who, who said they were Hindu. And uh, so do, is there a particular, you know, there's lots of Hindu gods. I assume being Hindu means that there's a certain god that you follow. Uh, and say, yeah, well, do people change their views and switch from one god to another? Or what about instances where a Hindu becomes an atheist? Um, well, what do you think about that? Oh, it doesn't happen very often. <laughs> I said, well, suppose you get married and your spouse was from a family that worshiped a different God than you worship. Well, what then? Oh, well, the wife adopts the husband's God. Oh, okay. So I, I was, it was kind of surprising answers to me that there's sort of those cultural norms and they sort of expected the people to go along with the cultural norms. So it was really quite enlightening to me, but I was asking questions about them and how they respond to those kinds of situations. Another question is, do you think it's important for others to come to embrace the beliefs that you hold? The person might say, no, this is for me, and for other people can believe what they want to believe. Um, they might say, well, yeah, actually, if, there are quite a few Buddhists. Buddhists usually aren't very pushy, but most Buddhists actually think, well, if you embrace Buddhism, you would have a better life. Okay, I actually you know, think that. So if you became a Buddhist, yes, that would be, that would be good for you. Um, so this, this is a question that gets the talking about what, what, what it actually means for them. Stimulate is comments that invite a response. <clears throat> uh, I've had, uh, I remember recently talking to a person who said that they, growing up, uh, like in high school, uh, whenever they would ask a question, they were immediately told, don't ask questions, you just have to have faith. So I can never ask questions. So the church community he was in, it was like it was an intellectual straitjacket. No questions can be asked. When he got to university and could ask questions, ah, breath of fresh air, freedom. And I said to him, it sounds like your experience uh, was quite different than mine. Pause. And the person, oh, how so? Well, actually, growing up, I was given a great deal of freedom. I grew up in a Christian family, but I was given a great deal of freedom to think about what I believe. I remember one time there was a dinner table conversation with which I have two older brothers. My oldest brother was asking some sort of hard questions, sort of skeptic kind of questions. And I was looking at my dad at one on the table and my mom at the other on the table. And my mom didn't have her fingernails in her mouth, but I could tell she was nervous with my oldest brother asking these questions about the, the, the truth of the faith. And my dad quite calmly said to him, as much as your mother and I, want for you to come to embrace the faith that we have. This is something you have to come to yourself. So it wasn't pressure. And to the saying to this person, not everybody has the same experience as you have. The Christian faith but doesn't, uh, by definition, uh, have uh, that uh, kind of view. And it saddens me when Christians don't actually deal with the questions that others are raising and encourage them to think about it and then seek to give some responses that would be helpful. Uh, oftentimes people talk about what you do this last weekend, and they'll talk about things. And you might say, well, I go to church on Sunday mornings, and I was at uh, church there. 
But this Sunday, the, the, the sermon was particularly good. There's some things the pastor said that I found quite helpful. You're silent. Stimulate and see if they respond. They may totally ignore it, just go on, which happens. Or they might say, well, how so? Then you're able to talk about what the content of the sermon was and how you found it helpful. But notice, because they've asked you, right? normally they don't want you to tell you about what the sermon. I mean, what not a Christian wants to want you to come and tell them about the sermon you heard the day, the day before. But in fact, if you put it this way, they are what was helpful about it. That's an invitation to speak about it. Uh, sometimes a topic comes up, and I'll say, I recently read a good essay or a good book on that topic. Again, the stimulate part is you shut your mouth. If the person doesn't ask any question, they really weren't listening to you. They're off in their own world. But if they're listening to you at all, they'll say, oh, what essay or book was that? And then I'll be able to say what book it was. And they'll ask me questions about it, so it gets the conversation going. Or sometimes the objection is raised, and I'll say, I've been thinking a fair amount about that question. The person might not say anything, but likely the person will say, oh, really? Well, what do you think about it? By asking that question, now they are very open to hearing what you have to say. Whereas if they've given some objection, and then you're giving your reply to or response to it, they're apt to continue sort of attacking your responses. But if, in fact, you make this sort of comment, then they're actually, OK, what do you think? Uh, and uh, <clears throat> I'll sometimes make a reference to Jesus. They, I gave a talk for international students in Prague, an international Baptist church. And one of the students asked a question about uh, justice and Christianity and justice. And I said, Jesus actually told a parable about justice. You know, what parable is that? <laughs> well, it's a parable within which there's this farmer hires some day workers beginning of the day, and there's a set amount they're going to get paid at the end of the day, and they work all day. And there's some other workers who show up middle of the day, and he hires them. They work half a day. And then there are people who show up with just an hour or two left in the day, and he hires them. And at the end of the day, he pays them all the same. And the student said, that's not fair. <laughs> I said, well... Pause and think about that. The person who worked all day got the fair wage, what they were expecting to get. Is it unfair for the, the farmer to be generous to those who work part of the day? After all, they probably had the same expenses, family, mouths to feed, that kind of thing. Uh, so they had just as much need. But it does say something about the Christian faith in Jesus and how Jesus thinks about fairness and views fairness in different ways than the way we might think about uh, fairness. So actually, raising something about Jesus is a great segue. And you say, Jesus said something about that, and then have them ask you what Jesus said about it. The relate is sharing your thoughts and beliefs and experiences about the Christian faith. Uh, and uh, it it's oftentimes flows from things you've been talking about, current events, politics, injustice in the world, stress people have, aspirations, etc. There, there's, there's lots of ways in which you could talk about the faith. And I think it's important in talking about the faith, don't feel like you need to share the whole gospel. And some of them think evangelism is sort of, you know, how can I you know, share the gospel, the whole package? You can have those opportunities. There's an example for myself. There's an international student who'd been going to our church for a while 
I was quite sure was not a believer yet. Uh, and I got together with him for breakfast. And I said, uh, in church, I know you've been hearing the word gospel. Uh, do you feel like you understand what that means? He said, well, sort of. I said, well, if you like, I'd be glad to lay out sort of in a quick outline of what I think are essential parts of the gospel. Would that be helpful? Yeah, that'd be helpful. So I pulled out the paper napkin and pen, you know, started writing on the, on, on the napkin some points about the gospel. In that case, I have the invitation to lay out the whole gospel. And you can do that with other people in sort of context within which, you know, you say, well, Christians talk about the gospel. Does that, do you know what that means? Or is that sort of a... Uh, Jesus died for your sins, whatever that's the gospel, whatever that means. <clears throat> and the person says, well, sort of, and they might give you some, some statements about what they, what, they, what they think it is. And you say, well, there's part of it. If you'd like, I'd be, I'd, be, I'd be glad at some point to just, at some point, means you don't have to do it right now, to, to lay out what I think are essential things and what Christians call the gospel. Okay, yeah, at some point that'd be interesting. So again, you have a segue into talking about it in a different, different context. Asking permission to share your thoughts. I've already given a couple uh, examples of that. Uh, at some point, I'd be glad to tell you more of my story. That was kind of what I, I said before. I hear what you're saying, and you raise a good question. Would you like my perspective on it? Say yes. They're, they're wanting, wanting what, they want to know what you have to say. If you like, I can respond to that point you just raised, but it would take a few minutes by saying it would take some time. There's no, it's not an easy question. There's no short one-sentence answer to it. But if you'd like to have the answer, I could give it to you. In some cases, I, well, actually, I think I could do about 15 minutes. I could, I could give, you my, give you my answer. So if the person says yes, they've got time, they're actually waiting and open to have a larger uh, presentation of ideas uh, given to them. The last one is uh, one, one, one of our already mentioned. It's important to speak of Jesus. Now, sharing your own testimony is very important. People want to know about your experience, what happened. But at the same time, people need to be directed towards Jesus himself. One of the best forms of evangelism is what I call investigative Bible discussions, where you get together with a friend and look at, say, a chapter from the Gospels and talk about what you see there. Um, Leading into that, so how you encourage people to do that, but there are ways in which a person can gain some interest in it. So, if you said some things about the gospel uh, and the person finds it curious, I, I, from what you said before, it seems to me that, that you ha have uh, some interest in, in, in Jesus or what, what he has said. Would you, would you like to, to learn more about it or look into it a bit more? You know, okay. Well, I, I'm, you, you can do it one on one, but you can actually do it with a small group of people and do a discussion with in which you're asking questions about the text and they're sharing their, their reflections. So it's in the, the wonderful thing about investigative Bible discussion is they're both being attracted to you, hopefully, and to Christians who may be involved, but they're also likely being attracted to Jesus. And not everybody reading the Gospels is attracted to Jesus, but actually most people in reading the Gospels find him very interesting, and Jesus is never canned. He responds to every person differently, individually. He responds to individuals. So there's no sort of that. Oh, that's what Jesus would say. You know, I mean, we do have what would Jesus do with it? You learn things about his values where you actually can uh, come up with things, likely things that Jesus would do. Uh, but Jesus does some surprising things, and his responses are fascinating. And why does he say that? And what does this mean? And what's going on? Again, it needs to be a monologue and not a conversation. And pause at times to give people the chance either to end the conversation or to, 
to uh, add something. When I was sharing the gospel with this international student, after each point, I would, may, I would say, does that make sense to you? And if you say, yeah, that makes sense, so I go on to the next point. Or, well, not really. Well, what, what, what's, what's difficult about it? And the person would talk about it. And if you don't get through the whole thing, that's okay. <laughs> because you want to be meeting the person where they're at. And you want to encourage a response. Uh, I have a number of slides here, but let me just mention a couple things that are important in a response. It's important that people are acting on what they're hearing. And the acting on what they're hearing isn't just the step of becoming a Christian. It can be other things. So if they see Jesus teaching something about value or about how to relate to other people, about forgiving others, uh, it's, it's important, it's good to challenge the person to begin to act on this. Because Jesus says the person who has, more will be given. The person who doesn't act on what they have, even what they have, they'll lose. So I'm convinced that when a person sees truth and sees truth from Jesus and begins to act on it, that creates a greater openness towards more truth. So calling for a response isn't just calling a response to become a Christian, but calling a response to begin to respond. My wife has done a lot with uh, Chinese students. And uh, most of the Chinese students, some of the Chinese students are Christians before they sort of acknowledge that they become Christians. And for them, it's sort of, well, will I become baptized? And if I identify as a Christian, there's, there's cost to that. So typically, they'll come to believe before they actually declare that, they, that they've be, become uh, a Christian. But my wife would continue to be asking them to act on, act on. And the next time when they get together as a weekly Bible study, well, how did things go? Did you work on this? Did you think about this uh, during the week? And as people respond to the truth, they get, they get more. Uh, another aspect of, re, of uh, re, response is to find out, uh, well, to encourage a person to, to learn more, maybe to read something. Actually, when I, when I give a person something, I typically don't give a book. A book almost always is something to go on the shelf and not get read. But if I find an article that I think would be helpful, so for instance, Tim Keller has some really excellent like, chapters in the books that he's written. You just give it a chapter in a book and say there's a, a piece written by a person named Tim Keller. Um, he was a preacher in Manhattan and actually quite successful in Manhattan, a, a, a thinker that I think you would appreciate. Uh, here's an essay on the, 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 whatever you say the topic is, and I'd, I'd like to know what you think about it. Likely, when you see the person a week later and you ask, did you get a chance to look at the article? No, probably that's the response. But you know, I really would like to know what you think. And the second time around, there's a higher chance that they will actually read it. And if they like it, then they're open to reading more things by that. So for, I know people who've read something by C.S. Lewis. Oh, hmm, I like C.S. Lewis. And they read more of C.S. Lewis. In fact, there's one person who uh, I know who'd read uh, much of what C.S. Lewis had written before he became a Christian. <laughs> he just started gobbling up, eating up. So there's ways in which you can encourage a response uh, that way. Encouraging the person to come and join you. Again, they need to have exposure to other Christians and not just you. Encourage them to say, come to a social event or maybe a dinner with some other Christians. Or maybe there's some event at church, although sometimes going to a church is, 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 is harder than going to something uh, in a home. But invite them to do things. Or there's somebody who's, who's speaking who you'd like to have them hear. 
or maybe it's an apologist, so someone who's, who's able to interact with them. This person is coming and speaking. I think you would enjoy it. Now, you have to have confidence in this person, because if you invite a non-Christian friend to hear somebody, and it's a bomb, <laughs> there's, there's cost involved in that. In fact, students typically won't invite their non-Christian friends to hear a speaker unless they already have confidence in the speaker. But if they have confidence in the speaker, then they'll invite their friends. Lydia. Yeah. At what point do you just let it go? The, you know, um, you might be interested in this article um, and say, no, they haven't read it the second time. If they say no, thank you, then no. Just let it go because I know there are a lot of cultures for which that would be a very shameful thing to tell you no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so if a person says twice, I haven't read it. Uh, you can say, well, it sounds to me like you, you really don't not interested in it. That's okay. I won't ask you again, okay? okay but the person might, oh, I just haven't gotten to it. No, so sort of be polite on their, on their side rather than, no, I'm not going to read it. Uh, <clears throat> so they're saying, yeah, I, I will read it. That, that, that means you're not pushing. But yeah, don't keep, don't keep going on if the person doesn't respond to it. Uh, yeah, if the person hasn't read it, uh, and uh, uh, you can say, well, if you, if you don't want to read it, that's okay. Uh, and if the person responds, well, I really don't have much time, you don't, you don't, you don't, don't raise it again. But the person might say, well, I, I really, well, I'd, I'd be glad to read it, I just haven't gotten to it yet. That means the door is still open, but you've raised in a way within which you're, you're not being pushy about it. And there's a... Uh, Actually, a book I'll mention on, on Friday that's called Once I Was Lost, written by two university staff who are quite good evangelists. And their basic thesis was there are a series of hurdles that a person crosses before crossing the hurdle of becoming a Christian, different thresholds across. And it's worthwhile asking where are people along this, this sequence? What are the things that, 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 that people need? Encouraging response, uh, this is a, I met a I got a phone call when I was at the University of Michigan. I was university grad faculty staff there and got a phone call from a woman who had been an undergrad with a guy who was in the music, music program in Michigan, had just enrolled. And she was enrolled in a master's program at Northwestern. <clears throat> and she said that he at one point prayed to receive Christ, but she said, I don't think he's a Christian, but I appreciate if you'd uh, contact him, make contact with him. So I called him and said why I was calling, that his friend had uh, suggested that we might get together. And I said, if you'd like, I'd be glad to treat you to breakfast. And I could have said, well, thank you, but I'm really not interested. So that would be the end of it. But he said yes, so we got together for breakfast. And after sort of 10 minutes or so, sort of this small talk, I said, you've probably been waiting for me to ask this question, so I'll go ahead and ask at this point. Where do you see yourself in a relationship with the Christian faith? And he said, well, I neither believe nor disbelieve. Um, I'm really quite agnostic uh, about it. Uh, well, we became good friends. I think I was the first Christian that he met who actually thought like him. We thought a lot alike. I was a fellow-minded skeptic. By temperament, I'm a skeptic. And uh, we had this, this great friendship. And it was the very first meeting. We really enjoyed each other. So it, they started meeting on a regular basis for breakfast and continuing conversation. And some of the early conversations were about the faith and issues and questions. <clears throat> but other times, it was just simply about how's the music program going, what about the pressure that's there? Your round people are all very good. Uh, how do you handle that? Uh, how do you handle that that kind of pressure? 
But after about six months, I, I, we got together and I said, I haven't asked you for a while. This was asking for a response. Do you see yourselves headed towards the Christian faith? And he said, no, not really. And he said, I grew up Catholic and my priest told me that faith is something you either have or you don't have, and I just simply don't seem to have it. All right, so there are doubts, and, and with the doubts, you, know, what, you can't just pretend to believe, or what's the point of pretending to believe if you don't really believe? And he didn't see himself getting beyond the, the doubts that he had, didn't see those being disappearing. So no, I didn't see himself very close to the Christian faith. So I said, I have a response to you, but it, it, there's a sort of parable I'd like to pa- share with you. And uh, <clears throat> it has to do with sort of the will to believe. Can one actually choose to believe while one still has doubts and ask, act, act on on what one, what one knows. So I can come back to that parable, uh, to, well, not, not much time, but uh, so I, I, I share this, this parable, and he said, oh, I probably should. I probably should. But he had to go off and see a professor, so he couldn't talk further then. And it was just before spring break. Uh, in Michigan, spring break comes the end of February. <clears throat> and so I, I said, well, I'll drop by a couple things by your apartment. Well, I went by his apartment. Actually, I had the wrong apartment number but I had an envelope with a little booklet called Brink of Decision, in a varsity press booklet, talk about becoming a Christian. And then another one was just uh, sort of first steps with God, sort of uh, some devotional uh, things. Um, when I got back after the spring break, I, I said, uh, did, you, did, you get, did you get the things I left for you? He said, actually, they were at the wrong door, but they were leaning up against the door, and I happened to see my name on it. So yes, I did get it. So I said, well, well what'd you think? And he said, nice try. I didn't want her nice try. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he said, well, it just seems as though it's, it, 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 it's, as much as it be nice to believe that God is there, he said, everything, it seems to me that everything just either happens by chance or by laws of physics, and that just seems to me to be the, the story. So that had further conversation going. Uh, it got to the end of the school year, and he was graduating, going to become a band director back in uh, New Jersey. Uh, and actually in Maryland, uh, and uh, I wanted to get together one last time and say, look, if you don't have any sort of clear objections, let me urge you, just do it. I know you know enough to trust God if you want to. Just do it. So I had a bunch of friends praying for this meeting that I would have before he was graduating and going off to the East Coast. And before I got to that, he said he'd been attending church the last, uh, got gone to Mass the last couple Sundays. It was either the Sunday then or the, the week before. He said, the priest was reading from the Gospels and he said, it seemed to me that God was speaking to me. I've decided to follow him. Okay, what's significant about that was it wasn't some dramatic emotional experience. It wasn't something where, oh, there's no psychological explanation for how you could feel this way. So it wasn't as though it was some strange, weird... It just felt to him as though God was speaking to him. What he needed was that subjective assurance. I think up to that point, it was sort of a mind game. I could believe, not believe, I get the reasons for, reasons against. But what he needed was some assurance from God that God is actually reaching out to me. And I've kept in touch with him. He's now teaching back at a college in Pennsylvania in the music program. <clears throat> but sometimes people will say, well, you know, if I ask God to show himself to me, uh, will he do that? Myself, you're expecting God to do some miracle for you, something really dramatic. I doubt that he will. And if you actually require some miracle for you to believe, uh, I, I suspect perhaps you're not all that close to faith as is. 
But what I do think you can do is you can pray that God will show himself to you. Not in some dramatic way, but in some way, personal way, where it seems to you that God is, is reaching out to you. And I think God honors that kind of prayer. So it's, it's again, the spirit has to be at work. Uh, we shouldn't be pressuring people, but we should ask people. And sometimes it's good to ask, uh, is, there, is there any sort of reason why you, you know, wouldn't want to become a Christian even now? Maybe not, okay? So just asking those kinds of questions uh, help uh, let you know the person is really open. Well, we, I'd be glad to help you in doing it. If you'd like to become a Christian, we could, we could do it right now. So, but you have to ask questions sort of lead into that rather than simply sort of ending with the, 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 the final question. Okay, just about 12.15, but are there a couple of questions? We come back on Friday, we'll have, yes, more questions, but... I don't have faith. I don't have faith. Yeah, he basically embraced a, a naturalist worldview, that there's, the world is physical, uh, there's no spiritual. Um, <clears throat> yeah. But then that's what he ended up with. How yeah. He made his decision. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't have faith. Right. And the, all our co- philosophical conversations were not pointless. Mm-hmm. I think they were laying a foundation, opening oh, the door absolutely. for him. Yeah. A common thing I get is, Kind of, that's good for you, um, you know, but it's not for me. Type not of, for me. Uh, that kind of, yes, Christianity is a good thing, but indifference, I guess I would say. Yeah, I'm actually going to be addressing some of this on, on Friday with I don't need God. But it's worthwhile asking sort of why they say that, or well, that's good for you, but it's, it's not for me. And ask, well, why do you say that? Likely you'll find out some stereotypes they have of Christians. Um, that their stereotypes don't actually fit. So sometimes people think, you know, why would one be, want to be a Christian all those rules? <laughs> rules, rules, rules. And I enjoy life. And Christians, you know, drab, you know. They don't really enjoy life. They can't, you know, party and have a good time. No, Christians have a wonderful time. So it's a stereotype they have. So I'll, I'll address a couple of the stereotypes on, on Friday where people feel like, well, this is what Christians are like, and I'm not interested in that. Or a person might say, <clears throat> I have better things to do with my time on Sunday morning than go to church. So I'd rather be playing golf or bicycling or whatever they do on a, on a, on a, on a Sunday morning. Uh, sort of, but that sort of reflects that, oh, sermons are boring and why would you do that? This is, uh, yeah. At, at what point do you, do you ever get to the point where you say, okay, I've, I've done what I can do, I just need to leave it Yeah, I'll rarely tell a person you need to pray right now with me to become a Christian. I'll say, if you'd like, this is what's involved in it, coming before God and saying, God, here I am. Here are the doubts that I have. But I have enough reason to believe you're there. I'm coming to you. And I'm going to trust you with who I am. Uh, And uh, so here I am, Lord. Let's go for it. (laughs) However the the person wants to talk about it, that that they're committing themselves. It's not a matter, well, I'll try it out for a week. It's not like you, you 
plant the turnip, you know, pull it up every week, see how it's doing. You know, committing to becoming a Christian, being following Jesus is not a, I'll try it for a week and see what happens, or I'll, I'll pray the prayer and I'll see how I feel afterwards. Uh, no, it's not like that. And some people have really strong emotional experiences in their conversion. Other people, it's, it's not, you know, okay. Uh, so people vary a lot on that. But it's something people can do on their own. And that's why the little the book, Brink of Decision, reading that, talks about some doubts that I have and giving some answers to that, and then some steps. So the person has that booklet, they can simply follow the instructions of the booklet and do that themselves without having to do it with another person. So that's, that's the value of giving a person a little thing like that where they have some guidance. And okay, if I do this on my own, can I do it on my own? Yes, you can do it on your own. And this little booklet will help you as from what's involved in it. Of course, part of what's involved in it is not only confessing faith in Christ, but deciding to become part of his community. Because God is not simply redeeming individuals, he's redeeming a community, he's calling us to be part of community. And it's important people realize that being a Christian is not just a Lone Ranger thing for your own, your own spiritual sort of insight, um, but rather God is calling you to, a, to his body, to the community of people that, that he is, he is the, the shepherd, the, the head of. Okay, let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for this time together. And Lord, I uh, ask you to help us to pray for the friends that we know who don't know you, whether they're family members or others around us. Uh, Lord, help us to pray that your spirit would be at work in their lives. Lord, help us to show an interest in them. And Lord, I pray that you would open doors, opportunities, where we can say things about our faith or find out things about them that can lead to, to speaking of you. Lord, speaking of you is speaking of really good news, and we thank you for that. And we need your help, and we're thankful that you are there to help us. Amen.